Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke 24, 13 to 32, on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Thank you, Rose. Good morning, church. Um, I'm Pastor Dustin. It's good to be with you. Uh, Some of you all heard that I was going to preach for Brian a couple times before Easter, and it honestly never worked out because I was ill. I was sick, and... um, It's never fun to suffer with anything, but I definitely suffered with, first of all, the flu, and that wasn't fun. I thought I was coming out of that, and it turned to pneumonia, which apparently isn't fun either. I went through that, and then at the end of that, I ended up with sores in my mouth. Um, And as doctors tried to figure out what was going on, I just had a really hard time both eating and drinking for about five days, Um, which you can imagine doesn't do much for your strength. And uh, so really for like three solid weeks, I was um, pretty useless and, um, and, and frustrated and, and suffering in my body just wasn't holding up for me. Um, some people ask me, like, do you feel like Job, uh, especially with like the sores? And, and I never want to compare myself to Job. Um, but I was like, you know, I got a taste of it. And, and the suffering is not fun. And uh, I, I was frustrated, but... The one thing that I got to do was I got to come to church um, twice when the doctor said I was, like, okay to come to church and be around people. Um, and and um, I couldn't open my mouth because I would start coughing. 
And uh, so for me, as a leader and a pastor here at Mannheim BIC, it was a total role reversal. Uh, I'm used to like being strong or knowing what's going on and, and being able to speak or lead. And instead, I honestly um, could just sit there and listen. And I didn't even, um, wasn't even able to say the prayers with y'all, wasn't able to sing, wasn't able to hold my hands up. And that's an interesting position to be in when you were at once maybe a leader and all of a sudden reversed to you're leaning on everyone else to sing for you. Um, so I was like, people in my row, I was like, go ahead, sing louder because I can't help you. Um, go ahead. Like I just enjoyed the enthusiasm of the participants around me. That helped me out um, when I couldn't do it. Um, so if you've ever showed up to our church physically weak, um, maybe exhausted, or your body or your mind is just letting you down in some way. Uh, just know that, that, first of all, you have a place with us. Um, I got to experience that, and, and I was blessed through that. Um, I enjoyed hearing the people around me do it for me when I couldn't do it. Um, and second, even in our suffering, um, there's small blessings to be had, to be found in that. It's not fun, and the pain is not fun, but there are small blessings in that, and I got to experience that. Um, and, and lastly, when we come together and do that, um, and we lift up weaker people, and I was one of them, um, I think that's really the kingdom of God. I think it's a, a characteristic. The kingdom of God is on display in those moments. Uh, the, the ground at the cross is, is even. This morning, we, we visit with two men um, who are leaving their faith community. They're, they're walking away from Jerusalem, from the group that they had spent the week with. Um, as they got further and further away from Jerusalem, they got further and further away from their core support group. And we also see them kind of getting further and further away from their faith and their belief. They were walking under a weight of, of some of the most difficult words known to man, or at least in the English dictionary. Um, let, let me just go through a few of these disappointment. They were walking in doubt, disillusionment, defeat, discouragement, despondency, depression, despair, death. My name's Dustin. It starts with a D. I don't know why all the English words that are about down and out start with D, but I was a little offended when I saw this whole list. Um, But this is what was impacting their lives, their walk, as they left Jerusalem So confused and maybe frustrated with what had just happened. Not really hopeful, maybe just going back to like life as it was before. Despite Jesus being as clear as possible with his followers leading up to his arrest, we've read many verses in the last four weeks together where Jesus is laying out the plan for his disciples and they weren't totally getting it and these two fellows uh, did not get it. As he had laid this out, interpretations of what went down this week are mixed. We could honestly say today, interpretations of what went down that week are mixed. As different people try to understand Jesus. The women that found him at the empty tomb, well, they were filled with belief. That was their interpretation. Then the big group's reaction when the women came back, and I quote the Bible in this, the story sounds like nonsense. That was their interpretation. And they were the followers of Jesus. And third, Peter, 
we see Peter go to the tomb, and Peter sort of straddles the fence, at least in Luke he does. Uh, and Luke writes, Peter wondered what happened. So we've got belief, nonsense, and Peter's kind of right in the middle, kind of wondering what's going on. Jesus comes out of the tomb, and he takes a new approach to clearing things up, to maybe clearing up the different interpretations. He's going to meet with people. Paul later writes, he met with one person, he met with two people, he met with 500. But what Paul points out, and I think is interesting, is he, he doesn't go to the masses anymore. He doesn't have a public ministry anymore. He doesn't even run to Pilate and be like, see, I told you so. Um, but he goes to his followers, the ones that were full of belief and the ones that were kind of like Peter, wondering what happened, and even the ones that were filled with doubt. He, he goes to them and ministers to them. The Bible reads, two of them. That very day, two of them. Two of them means the, the group that had met together. The group that, that when the women ran back had said, this sounds like nonsense. These, these were two followers. It doesn't really point out. Uh, it gives one name. It doesn't give the other name. It doesn't appear that they would be one of the 11 disciples. But we know that they were filled with, with doubt and, and dismay. And, and the two were left confused. But little did they know that when Jesus caught up to them and, and, and talked with them, that they would become messengers of the truth. They would run back to their community and say, no, it's for real. Which is probably a metaphor for all of life. When Jesus stops us in our tracks and, and messes with our hearts and our minds, that we become messengers of truth, messengers of the resurrection. For, for these two fellows, their faith didn't hold up under this new information. Their faith made sense a week before, but with the crucifixion and the burial, their faith didn't make sense anymore. We call it like a faith crisis. Like their, their problem, God wasn't big enough to overcome the problem they had in their heads. Maybe for you. Maybe, maybe you look back or maybe now and, and you think, you know, there was a crisis of faith. There was a, there was a time where, where I was totally filled with doubt, completely. I don't know. Or, or maybe someone challenged me in a new way. It could be a coworker. Or maybe you were at college. Uh, maybe you were away from home. Maybe it was a family member. And they said something like, you really believe that Jesus stuff. It's like a nice story, but you really believe in Jesus? Or maybe it was a failure in life, and, and you immediately said, God, why aren't you on my side? Why did this happen to me? Or maybe it was an untimely death, and you just simply say, God, where are you? This should not have happened. This, uh, this past week, a friend of mine was buried um, in, in, down in Delaware, and um, he was a speaker at, at our retreats for about three years, and um, this, his name's Barry Hill. Um, many of the youth, maybe in the late 2000s, would have gotten, um, would have been taught under Barry, and many of the youth leaders would know Barry. Um, he was a good friend of mine. We talked this year. Um, he would have, uh, he passed away with cancer at age 49, and he had seven kids all at home, um, in school. And so, I, obviously, I immediately, like, Barry did such an incredible job teaching our youth and um, leading a ministry in Northern Virginia. And so immediately you jump to, like, hey, God, like, what's going on? This makes no sense. 
Your faith seems secure at one time, and, and now confusion and doubt swirl through your head. God, where are you? For these two fellows, Jesus overtakes them. He pursues them. He hustles after them. In the late 1800s, there's a, there's a famous quote about Jesus um, where the author says, He's like the hound of heaven. Like tracking us down, trying to meet us where we are, even when we're walking away. So this morning, what's your road to Emmaus? If we're just honest for a moment, time where you're filled with doubt, where it's confusing, and maybe it's going on right now, and there's just a moment where you're, you know that you have to walk this path, and it doesn't make any sense. I, I felt that like when my own health really gave out. There was pain, there's suffering, and, and Lord, where are you? And so I'm going to take a, a sermon time out real quick. Um, sometimes we do a reflection at the end of the sermon. We're going to do it right now. So I invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. And, and with God in this room and his presence with us, can you give that path a name? Can you identify it for God? Where things just aren't clear where there's confusion and there's doubt. And as you see yourself on that road, Jesus catches up to you. And he says, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to walk with you. What's going on? How do you respond? And after Jesus hears your side of the story, what would Jesus say back to you about this path, about this road you're on? And it's okay to ask Jesus for hope, for faith, for belief. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Amen. Luke had this one theme that ran through the, all the verses that Rose read for us. It was this movement from obstructed eyes to open eyes. From not seeing God from clear, to clearly seeing God. Another parallel story of similar meaning would be Philip opening up the scriptures to the Ethiopian eunuch. It was a movement from confusion, I don't understand what this means, to understanding and belief. And, and if I had one quick prayer this morning, it would be that that God would be able to meet you on that path and move you one step closer to seeing him more clearly, to having open eyes in that same movement. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? It might be a little bit like if you were around when 9-11 happened, and let's say you bumped into someone later on that week, and they were like, yeah, I heard something in New York happened. And you might be like, whoa, you don't know what happened? 
And, and you'd be like, this is what happened. And you'd be like all emotional. And, and you'd, you'd be able to say exactly where you were when you found out. And you would be able to say, I watched it on this TV. And like, you'd be able to just tell them the entire story from your perspective while the other person was like trying to catch up. And so that's what I imagine here. The, the heart of these two men saying, wait, wait, you don't know what happened? And then Jesus responds with, what things? To maybe get their side of the story. It also says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Visitor could also be translated stranger or even foreigner. They did not recognize Jesus. Jesus looked out of place. He looked like he didn't fit. And then it appears that he wasn't even around or understood what was going on. Like, What kind of meaning do we get out of that? I think there's just a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, when Jesus shows up in our lives, he might not look like you expect. He might not be what you expect. Second thing, he's going to listen to your confusion and your complaining. And he just took time to do that with these two fellows. You might not know that Jesus was with you until afterwards. It might be later on, and you're like, oh my goodness. I was totally blinded to what Jesus was up to. And lastly, I love this one. These were two regular disciples, kind of unknown, That, as far as we know, kind of unknown. I love that Jesus appeared to them. Again, he could have went to Pilate and just frightened the pants off of Pilate. He could have done a bunch of different things. And he ran to these two unknown disciples and just spent time kind of massaging and working their faith. Jesus says, what things? The irony here. And and listen carefully. The irony is that the only one in this whole conversation that's in the know is Jesus. Which probably sums up my entire prayer prayer life. I like talk to God about things, and he's in the know. And I'm trying to catch up. The irony here is Jesus knows. Let's just be creative for a moment. Let's just say that Jesus... I know he says... What things? But let's just say that Jesus says, yeah, I actually am in the know. I, I, I was on the inside. I actually know what happened. Well, let me tell you. Let me begin. On Thursday night, I was having supper with some close friends. I was eating a special meal together. And then we went into the darkness of the garden, and I prayed, Father, please, is there any other way? I'm going to pass out underneath this suffering that's about to happen. Then my friends, they all fell asleep on me when I needed the most. Uh, You guys know who my friends are. Um, Then soldiers came with torches, swords, led by another former close friend who came up and gave me the kiss of death. You know who I'm talking about. I was arrested, took into the city. They shuttled me back and forth between Jewish and Roman authorities. Finally, the Roman leader said he didn't find any fault in me, but the crowd began yelling, crucify him. And as a true politician, he gave into the crowd. He had me flogged, beaten, led out of the city to a hillside where I was executed by crucifixion. I received the wrath of man to the point of passing out on the road and not being able to go anymore. Big thanks to Simon of Cyrene for helping me out on the road. Even worse, I received the wrath of God. I was cursed as the sins of my people were on my shoulders as I hung on the cross. And then it was finished. The wind howled, the darkness fell. I was dead. Story over. 
But instead of being thrown into the burning garbage pile outside the city, someone was looking out for me. Big thanks to a secret disciple named Joseph of Arimathea, who owned a clean new burial chamber cut out of rock where I was placed. I was wrapped in clean white grave clothing and anointed with spices. A guard was posted, a large stone was rolled over the entrance. And again, you would think this is the end of the story, wouldn't you? And early this morning, a cosmic force of creative, incredible power supernaturally awoke me. My heart started to beat. My eyes opened. I was alive only by the power of the Father in heaven. Angels came and rolled the stone away. I walked out into the dawn, and I was alive. That's what happened. What about you two? Like, what's been going on the last couple days? That's what was going on with me. But Jesus gave them a chance to share. Just to, to share, like, how they were stuck in their confusion. And then he said, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart. It sounds harsh, but keep in mind, foolish in the Bible, it does, it's not stupid. It doesn't mean that Jesus was guessing at their IQ score. Um, what it means is the Bible says the foolish one believes there's no God. The foolish one has no fear of God. The foolish one says, I don't need God. I can figure it out on my own. Jesus was basically saying, hey, you two, you left your wisdom and your belief back in Jerusalem a few miles ago. And you're walking further and further away from it. Here's my question this morning. These two guys, and and for you, how are you living right now? Um, For these two fellows, did these two did these two fellows have the resurrected, alive, and working, and active Jesus on their minds? Or a dead, buried, and nice old story of Jesus? Which one were they walking with? Which one were they carrying with as they left Jerusalem? Their doubt was leading them further away from wonder, faith, hope. Further away from their faith community. So what changed? I always like to ask that question because we see this change. We go from blinded to clearly seeing Jesus. So what changed? These seven things, I think, really pop out as what changed. Number one, Jesus started with Scripture. Just started in the Scripture, started to explain. He walked them through the redemptive history of God. They listened, which is a great start. They listened. They, They were open. Their hearts were engaged. Their minds were engaged. Given a chance to respond at the end. Were they going to let this stranger, this foreigner, just keep walking? They had a chance to say, why don't you come back to the house? Let's talk some more. Let's eat together. And they put that faith into action, not knowing what was about to happen. I want to jump back to the very first thing on the list. I think it's incredibly important. Again, it's very similar to what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch, where he just opened up scriptures and they started to dig through them. It's what we try to do when we come together, do a Bible study, In the morning, maybe as you open your Bible or late at night, as you try to get caught up on your Bible reading. Maybe ask Andrew and Crystal, good, um, why they spent the last couple years with Wycliffe and do Bible translation. Because they believe that this change often starts right in the scriptures. What did Jesus say? It doesn't tell us. I would love the transcript of what Jesus said to these two fellows. Like, it sounds so good um, because their belief went from confusion 
to trust. I, I would love to have this transcript. I think it's incredible that he spends time with two people where this maybe should have been for 5,000 people. He's like, no, I'm just going to spend time with you two. I would love to have that transcript. I would preach it this morning. So I'm going to guess just a few things that I think Jesus would have included. I think maybe he would have jumped back to Genesis 22. Then Abraham looked up and saw behind him a ram in a thicket caught by its horns. So he went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And I was that lamb for you three days ago. The Lord provided for you guys. Or maybe from Exodus, Pharaoh's heart was hard. He loved having the Jewish people as free labor to build whatever giant monuments he wanted. And even after the first nine plagues, he still wasn't given in. So that night when the last plague fell, the worst one, the firstborn sons would all perish under the would all perish unless the faithful believers sacrificed an animal and put the blood above their doorpost. That night they were saved in their belief. And in remembrance of that moment that God intervened and saved their children and then later released them from slavery, we have the Passover. And this past week, that's what we remembered, the Passover. When we entered Jerusalem, we saw thousands of lambs and makeshift pens outside the city, all ready for this Passover feast. And I, I am the last lamb. I took on your sins. No more lambs are needed again. You too, both of you are forgiven. Maybe he jumped to the end of the Old Testament. Micah, Micah, this small book, had this prophecy that 700 years later after he wrote these words, the Messiah would be born in a small village called Bethlehem. And that's where I was born. From Genesis to Malachi, Jesus walked them through and kept referencing the things that had just happened making the connection that God was in all of it. Everything here points to one truth that binds Christians together generation after generation for the past 2,000 years. From John 11, and I just needed to use King James because that's how I know it. If you'll just read this with me. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That binds us together this morning. How was that accomplished? Was it through power and might? Even the thief called that out on the cross. Hey, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself like now. How did he accomplish that? It might be similar to even the age-old question, how should I live my life? He accomplished it through humility, not self-glorification. He accomplished it through serving, not a power grab. I'm a bow hunter, and I, I love these verses out of Psalms 44. It applies to all of us. I do not trust in my bow. A couple weeks ago, I would have been real quick to say, I don't even trust in my own body or my health because I'm so weak. I do not count on my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory. And the Father in heaven gave Jesus the victory as he stepped into obedience through his humility. How are we to live? How are we to live? These two still didn't see Jesus with them. But they had compassion on this stranger and said, why don't you come come eat with us? 
And that helped them out. Because when he sat down and Jesus broke the bread, which was unusual because usually the host of the home broke the bread, but Jesus broke the bread. It must have been in that moment where they must have looked at each other and said, wait a minute, this is how Jesus always did it. Uh, Jesus always would sit with people, he would discuss their lives, and then he would break bread, just like this guy just did. We saw him do it in Levi's house, Simon's house, Mary and Martha's house, the Pharisees' house, Zacchaeus' house, even with the 5,000. And now he did the same thing with us. This is so much like what Jesus did. These two fellows, they thought that Jesus was just going to be a story or a memory. And now, finally, the scales fell from their eyes. They realized he's alive. And the story's just beginning. The story's not over. The resurrection has happened. Not only did it raise Jesus from the dead, but it just raised their belief. It raised their belief. If you're coming out of a crisis situation or, or looking to see Jesus in the path that you're on right now, I think we stop and we ask, God, can we see you more clearly? Can, can you raise my belief from the dead, Lord? Their troubled hearts, their confused heads were now filled with hope and renewed faith. Jesus had revealed himself through scripture and shared all that had just happened. And then through the sacrament of having a meal together. And if I can just be honest for a second, those are like the two favorite things about church for me. I love to hear when people share and I love when people get to eat together. Love it. And that meant so much. And finally, their minds caught up with their hearts. Wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained scriptures to us? Jesus took the time and graciously, I love that word, graciously cleared away the confusion, talked with them, valued them, and he showed to them the heart of God and the plan for salvation. He was alive, risen from the dead. Help me out with this. He is risen. As an act of this belief, would you rise with me? Rise out of the doubt. <clears throat> this resurrection, it enables us to see the world not as a place of death, decay, and defeat, but as a place where God's hope is present now and God's final victory is still approaching. When they finally realized this, the scripture says they, they really didn't even finish their meal. They're still hungry and they're heading back. They're heading back to be with their people, their, their faith community. They're going to go back and say, no, for real, for real, Jesus is alive. So may God catch up with you on your road to Emmaus. May God listen to you intently. May you return the favor and listen to God intently. May your hearts be on fire, knowing that it's not just an old story or a memory but that Jesus is alive, active, and moving in our lives, in our church, and in you. Would you say this last piece with me? And, and, and I hope that this just carries on through your week. Wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us?